Hello, hello. You are listening to Art House Garage, the snob-free film community where we make art house indie and classic cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and today we have a big Oscar blowout episode. The Oscars are coming in just a few short days, so today we are giving our thoughts and predictions on the upcoming awards ceremony, as well as discussing two Oscar-nominated films, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Little Women. First up is the Oscar talk. My guest today is a film writer and podcaster named Rance Collins. I met Rance in college and soon realized he was completely cinema obsessed. And he has a reputation as sort of a walking classic cinema encyclopedia. He lives in LA now and he spends much of his time writing for Turner Classic Movies. He also has a ton of Oscar history knowledge. So he's the perfect guest for this episode. And most importantly, he's an incredibly nice person and he's very fun to talk to. We spoke recently and broke down some of the top Oscars categories this year, looking at what will win and what should win in each category, and what notable films and filmmakers were left out of Oscars 2020. Here is my Oscars discussion with Rance Collins. And the Oscar for Best Picture is presented to... And the Oscar goes 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 to... And the Oscar goes... And the Oscar goes... Welcome to Art House Garage, Rance Collins. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a while. I think this is a great reason to do it. Um, You are someone that I know thinks and cares a lot about the Oscars. Uh, you seem to be talking about them online each year and that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> so you're a pretty right. big fan of, of the Oscars. Is that fair to say? I would say that I am a huge fan of oh. the Oscars. Obsessed <laughs> might be a term people would throw around about it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, then you are the perfect person to talk about this. Let's jump in and talk about the big one. Uh, so best picture. Uh, so the nominees this year are Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, okay. Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. So right off the bat, what do you think will win? What do you think should win? Uh, Yeah, what's your opinion on that one? Oh, um, I I will say that this is, I think, the toughest category out of Mm. the top categories Mm. because there has been, I think, a pretty – pretty uh large consensus around the acting categories in particular yeah whereas uh picture and uh, director a little bit have felt more um up in the air but what it has been moving toward and what probably would be the vegas odds to go with would be parasite Mm, really yeah and i think but i am hesitant to say that because last year betting odds would have made it Roma. Yeah, 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 which is what I wanted to win to. And then Green Book came out of the nowhere and surprised us all with that. Um, mm-hmm. What is it? So you may know I, something about historically what has won the Producers Guild Award and the Directors Guild Award has usually won Best Picture. Is that true? Or are you, am I making that up? No, that's a that's a pretty fair bet when it's won both. Yeah. Which this year um, is 1917, right? And don't forget it also won the SAG Ensemble Award. Mm. Oh, yeah. Which is 
which is something you have to look at because the big, the biggest voting block of the Academy is actors or are actors. Mm, interesting. So then you start. Yeah. So Parasite won the SAG ensemble, right? Yeah. And yeah. so the fact that they've won DGA, PGA and SAG, I mean, it would, if I was to make a bet, what I will probably mark on my ballot, it's going to be Parasite. All right. If it's not Parasite, if it's a Roma situation mm-hmm. where it wins a lot of other stuff and then we we get to the big night, they give it foreign language and they don't give it picture, which could happen yeah. again. Uh, they gave it director last year, too. You might remember. Mm. Um, but right. they, they, yeah. gave, they gave it cinematography. They gave it directing. They gave it... Um, do they give it writing? Am I making that up? That sounds maybe right. Yeah, I think it run, Roma won a lot last year. Yeah, Roma, it didn't Roma, win the big one. it won, it won a lot of Oscars, but it didn't win the big one, even though it won director. Mm-hmm. And that is unusual, mm-hmm. but there may be some type of bias that exists within the Academy against foreign language films. Yeah. Yeah, and so this would that, be the first time if Parasite were to win, it would be the first, correct? It would be the first foreign language film to win Best Picture, yes. Mm. Um, which, I mean, these are, it's, I mean, like, it's easy to see why that has happened. These mm. are awards uh, by Americans yeah, uh, celebrating uh, largely American films. Mostly American voters, yeah. American voters. Um and it, it's understandable that that is maybe the direction things go. But mm-hmm. as far as inclusion and um, visibility goes, I think that it would be wonderful mm-hmm. if a movie could win that wasn't in English and that had a very underrepresented uh, race yeah. of people. And I can't think of a better movie to do it. It's it's my choice for what I think is actually the best movie here. Um, mm-hmm. I would love for it to win. I, I really was a big fan. I like what Bong Joon-ho said at, I think at the Golden Globes, uh, if you can get over the one inch tall barrier of subtitles, you'll be opened up to so many wonderful movies. I thought that was a great, mm-hmm. um, just, I love that he's, he's kind of being a little subversive and, and pushing against that kind of thing too. Uh, yeah. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I think a lot of us, even those of us who are huge film film fans, mm-hmm. it is a whole other world that you open yeah. up. Yeah. And it's not just one world either, because mm-hmm. foreign language films are not uh, like a French film and a Japanese film wouldn't be the same thing. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so you are you you have a different well of cinema to dive into for every country that produces movies yeah absolutely yeah i really hope it wins that's great yeah but if it doesn't i think it's gonna go to hollywood's favorite subject which is itself yeah and (laughs) yes (laughs) and uh be once upon a time in hollywood yeah i i would not be surprised i took a breath I took a breath. I said, once upon a time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dot, dot, dot. In Hollywood. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Yeah, it's a real pain to type that title out, which I've done several times. It recently. is. <laughs> I thought the other day, like, I was trying to think of other movies that have ellipses. And the, yeah. the only one I could think of was When Harry Met Sally. Oh, yeah. That's right. I never think of Which that. is at the end. But... Dot, dot, dot. And there's a confusion, too, because the Blu-ray for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood 
has it on the cover as being Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But the uh, credits have it before the end. It's yeah. very confusing. Actually, I'm looking yeah. at the Oscars website, and it's got the poster, which is in <laughs> dot, dot, dot. But if you hover, mm-hmm. the official title pops up, and it's time dot, 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 in Hollywood. Yes. Yeah, and that's how it is whenever it shows up in the movie. Which too. makes the most so, sense, I think. So anyway. Yeah. Very it feels weird doing the pause. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Otherwise. That's what the official title of this movie even is. So, Love to ask Quentin. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've also seen uh, a lot of love for 1917 recently, so I I a little bit wonder if that might not sneak in and win, um, just because of the mm-hmm. the historical love for you know, his big historical war dramas. And I do think it's a good movie. Um, it's not my favorite by any means of of the group, but well, I mean, it, it'd be a situation of uh, a movie that is a good movie, but is ultimately a technical achievement, mm-hmm. winning Best Picture. And I will say that I, if you look at things historically, technical achievements don't normally win out. Mm. Um, if you, like, for instance, uh, 10 years ago, there was a movie <laughs> that was nominated for Best Picture that it feels like everybody's forgotten about, despite the fact that it made so much money, mm. um, Avatar. Oh, yeah. Which was <laughs> a great technical achievement, and it was the second favorite to win best picture but the first favorite one the much smaller probably much better movie the hurt locker oh yeah and and if you that was a great story too because the mm-hmm. ex-wife beat the husband the ex-husband but um oh yeah that's right yeah <laughs> Catherine bigelow yeah, and james right. cameron were married Catherine at one point Bible. yeah but um but i mean there are sometimes that a technical achievement winds up with being also a great movie you can, I mean, like, uh, Gone with the Wind, Lawrence of Arabia, mm. like all of those are great technical achievements, and they are also well-made, compelling films, but with good stories. But that, I, I don't, I cannot think of any examples off the top of my head where something wins, at least in the modern era, just because it was technically, uh, yeah, technically beautiful. That is... Really, uh, you find wins for that more in in the technical awards and in uh, sometimes directing. Yeah, I'd be pretty if surprised if anything besides 1917 wins cinematography. Um, yeah, but although yeah. it's film editing nominations, a little bit perplexing because what's yeah. what did you edit? <laughs> Reportedly, there's nothing to edit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. Um, supposedly, I mean. <laughs> uh, whatever yeah sure well, let's move on somebody to had to <laughs> somebody had to clip off the part right after yeah. action and cut i mean that was there's one i'm sorry i don't mean to i don't mean to be uh, rude to whomever got that nomination congratulations <laughs> that's really funny well let's look at the actors um, uh if so actor in a leading role this year is Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory, Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Adam Driver for Marriage Story, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, and Jonathan Price for The Two Popes. Who do you think is going to take this one? Um, well, I mean, he's won everything so far, so it seems pretty safe to say Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, that's my I will too. say that I think of the four categories, the one that has the biggest chance for a surprise is Best, best Actor. Mm-hmm. So, and the reason I think that is because I think both Joaquin Phoenix and Joker 
are viewed as something a little controversial. Yeah. It probably has the most detractors of any of the big movies, mm -hmm. I think. Whereas there, I think, is more of a consensus around the movies in the other categories Mm -hmm. and in the other movies nominated in Best Actor. I feel like Joaquin Phoenix is seen, uh, you know, I think that there is some type of impact that is made by the speeches you give Mm. and the lead ups to as well. And there was a lot of uh, negative reaction to the speech he gave at the Golden Globes, Mm. um, which is kind of meandering, you know, and very Joaquin Phoenix. And so his personality could butt up against people, but I also don't really know if I I have a second place. I don't know who would, I feel like Leo might be the one most likely just because he's so liked. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd love uh, to see uh, Antonio Banderas get one for having a really fun career. If nothing else. Nice kind of a career Um, achievement one. That's the one I haven't seen. I've heard it's, he's amazing in it. Um, but yeah. And, but I feel like it was the nomination that snuck in. Like it was yeah. the one people weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. So, so it's probably going to be Joaquin Phoenix, but I will say if you are looking for a surprise, that's the category where I yeah. think it's most likely to happen. I would love for it to be Adam driver just cause I love him. And I think he's fantastic in marriage story. I yes. don't think it's going to happen, but, uh, no, but I will say, I also think thinking. that marriage story, marriage story had a little bit of backlash, I think too. Mm. You know, um, because um, I like the friends I talked to who've seen the movie, like it seemed like everybody was very split Mm. on the movie. And I saw it with two other friends of mine. I live in L.A. where we actually get theatrical runs for everything. Yeah. And so and Marriage Story, (laughs) Marriage Story was shot on 35 millimeter film. Mm. And so they played it in film here. And that's not something you get everywhere anymore. Yeah, most of us and are so on we, our iPads watching yeah, this movie. <laughs> exactly. So I went to go see a Marriage Story on film, which was fun. But um, I saw it with two other people, and it felt like the three of us had very different reactions to the film. Mm, wow. It and their reactions kind of, I don't know, changed my perspective on the movie mm. too. Because uh, one of them was a girl, a girl space friend of mine yeah. <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> and and her fiance and um she felt as if it was a movie that was very biased to adam driver mm-hmm. and it didn't make her dislike the movie but it made her not like the movie as much yeah because it was she felt it was kind of one-sided and i didn't feel that watching it myself yeah but i'm also a guy right so so i wonder like if that will hurt the movie but i will say he was great in that i think he's a great actor and i don't see how he doesn't end up with an oscar at some point yeah so yeah that's so interesting to hear that perspective because i had a a little sense of that just that maybe his 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 part was a little more written uh more Mm -hmm. strongly or something like that Um, well you know the movie is about the divorce between Noah yeah. Baumbach and Jennifer Jason Lee. It seems like he gets more of the big emotional Oscar moments, honestly, than, than she does. Uh, it's a, just unmatched in that way, perhaps. But yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's probably just par for the course than the person writing the movie. It's, yeah. it's his perspective. It's his own divorce and his yeah. perspective. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Anyway, 
No, that's very interesting. All right, let's move yeah. on to actress in a leading role. We have Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, Scarlett mm-hmm. Johansson for Marriage Story, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, and Renee Zellweger for Judy. What do you think? I don't think there's any question at this point yeah. that we decided it's going to be two-time Academy Award winner Renee Zellweger. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like that's maybe the safest bet out mm-hmm. of all of them. She's won uh, everything at this point, I think. Yes. I still think it's uh, I still think it's an example of a great performance in a in a in an okay movie, mm-hmm. but because it's a I think if without her performance it's a very standard biopic. Yeah, but um, not I and I feel like the material I feel like somewhere in the writing there could like the material could have been elevated to something better. But um, Renee Zellweger does a great job capturing her mannerisms and her voice. And and even though she does not sing really like Judy Garland, people are very impressed when you attempt that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I feel like um, I also feel like she has a great narrative behind her and that she's been kind of out of the spotlight for a mm-hmm. really long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And. I think she is well liked enough that people really want to kind of, it's a comeback Oscar yeah. in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's in a way that's, that's a nice little meta fairy tale because Judy Garland mm-hmm. uh, won a juvenile Oscar, which was a, which was a special <laughs> award they gave out. The day. Yeah. They, they didn't, there was no, it was a special Oscar in the way that a, like a Gene Herschel humanitarian award mm, or whatever. Okay, gotcha. Um, but, and they would award it semi-annually to whomever. And I think Mickey Rooney got one and Shirley Temple got one. Wow. Um, I didn't know that. Haley Mills got one. Um, but they stopped it after Haley Mills, actually. They never gave it again. Hmm. And it was just recognizing somebody who was a child actor who had been significant. And she won it after Wizard of Oz um, when she was like when she was like turning 18 at that. But um, she would be nominated, though, for both A Star is Born and Judgment at Nuremberg. Mm. She very famously lost to Grace Kelly, infamously, I should say, um, and for A Star is Born. And then um, she was up against Rita Moreno in West Side Story for mm. Judgment at Nuremberg. And yeah, if you've seen West Side Story, nobody beats Rita Moreno in West Side Story. <laughs> She's the winner. <laughs> <laughs> she is a force of nature. But um, uh, Judy never got that Oscar. And I feel like in a way, mm. especially with the way that Renee has been leaning on talking about Judy yeah. in her speeches, mm. I think that she's... Um, they're viewing it kind of as uh, a way to award her in death. Yeah. I can honor her legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she did die almost exactly 50 years ago. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. That too. Yeah. Judy is one of the ones I have not actually seen yet. Um, so I can't really comment on this, although it does seem like she's winning everything at this point. Um, my favorite among these that I've seen is probably Saoirse Ronan in little women. I think she's fantastic mm. in that uh, and, and just shaping up into such an incredible actor. Um, you know, I think it's interesting um, when talking about uh, someone like her, um, because I think about Amy Adams, because mm-hmm. I think uh, 
you know, you have that person who kind of breaks out and they get a couple Oscar nominations when they get onto the scene mm-hmm. and people are like, well, they're going to win one eventually. And then seven nominations later, yeah. you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, shoot, we haven't given one to her. Mm-hmm. And that I don't I don't know if Sears Ronan will be a victim of that, but I think she probably <laughs> will continue to get great parts for a while. But it is interesting to look back at like Peter O'Toole, who mm-hmm. never won mm-hmm. or um, or Deborah Carr and all these uh, great people who get, rack up all these nominations. And I think every time it happens, it's just like, well, you know, this thing happened and we'll get to them later. And then, yeah. you know, you, so hopefully that ho- doesn't happen to Searsha. I doubt it will, but. <laughs> That's a um, little bit Leo's story too. I just remember he feel like he uh-huh. nominated so many times and we, he finally won for the Revenant a few years back. Yeah. Don't forget that was Kate Winslet's story too. Speaking yeah. of Titanic yeah, yeah. alums. Mm. Well, let's look at the actor in a supporting role. This year we have Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes, Al Pacino in The Irishman, Joe Pesci in The Irishman, and Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is another case where one particular person has been winning so far, correct? Yes. And that's Brad Pitt. Seems like he's won most of the big acting awards this year. And... um, I feel like there's pretty good grace for his speeches, right? Is that seem to be the oh for consensus? sure, for sure. And I would guarantee you, somebody who is in charge, who at ABC is probably trying to desperately to figure out how they can have Jennifer Aniston in the room, <laughs> yes. because <laughs> at both the Golden Globes and the SAGs, we have found a way to cut to her. In the audience. <laughs> yeah, just for the memes alone. She needs to be there. <laughs> I mean, I think the entire world exploded with the with the pictures of them backstage. Uh, but there are no TV awards at this one, so we can't. <laughs> you have to think of a way to get her in yeah, the room. She has to excuse. present or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, show us her dress where she's not wearing a bra. Yeah. Um, <laughs> her thing you know that's her thing uh, yeah. but that's her thing but brad pitt um i brad pitt has uh won an oscar for producing we should remember hmm. um because he was a producer on 12 years a slave that's right uh yeah. yeah um so he does actually have an oscar but he does not have an oscar for his own individual achievement hmm. and i would say that he is in that position He's like 56 now, mm. um, which, I mean, we should all be so lucky. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> say, I was a little shocked when you said that number. 56? <laughs> I know. Um, and he, um, he, I think, probably has a little bit of that overdue syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, uh, that thing where we, he hasn't been nominated in a while. And there probably is a little bit of a fear that we might be in a situation where he may not get this opportunity again, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he does give a very great, compelling performance. Um, he's almost a lead in the movie, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, uh, I think it's time. I think it's time that, that he won one and 
the fact that it's in a movie that is very good and he gets a great performance is, yeah. you know, just makes the deal sweeter. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I, I've not always been the biggest fan of his performances, but this is one that I think is really, really good. I think it's been the last yeah. like, few years that I've kind of really come around on him as an actor. Uh, my wishful thinking one for this category would be Joe Pesci, actually. I think he's great. Oh, yeah, Joe Pesci. Him. The fact that he came out of retirement after so many years. Has he won before? I forget. Not that I know of. I don't know Oscar history. As if he did, it was in the 80s, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, hold on. There's this tool, I don't know if you've heard of it, called IMDb. Um <laughs> an industry thing and not a lot of people know about it's it. an industry oh he has one supporting actor for goodfellas, goodfellas. all right um yeah uh yeah so uh, joe pesci um joe pesci is kind of an american institution mm, yeah. and and he does give an absolutely great performance and so does al pacino um but ultimately the fact that both of them are in that category together anytime you have two people from the same movie yeah it's 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 not impossible because it it has happened before. I mean, Shirley MacLaine mm-hmm. won over Deborah Winger for Terms of Endearment, and they were both nominated for Best Actress. But it is hard if you are from the same movie. That is yeah. a situation where the vote might split. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Very interesting. Well, let's mm-hmm. look at the final acting category, which is actress in a supporting role. Kathy Bates mm-hmm. for Richard Jewell, Laura Dern for Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit, Florence Pugh for Little Women, and Margot Robbie in Bombshell. Who's going to win this one? Uh, this is another uh, career. I don't want to say it's a career Oscar because she does give a good performance, but uh, Laura Dern, who has been yeah. knocking it out of the park consistently since she came onto the scene in mm-hmm. the 1980s, mm-hmm. who is from an acting legacy on both sides. Um, she, she's going to win. Yeah. She's won everything else this season. Yeah. And that is, I think that's an amazing performance. It's one I, I, I talked about this on another podcast episode, but mm-hmm. her character in that, I don't know whether to think she's, a genius and a just beautiful person or a monster who's taking advantage of everything around her. And she mm-hmm. kind of like, she walks that line, that balance so well. And it's really amazing yeah. to watch. Yeah. It's a, uh, it feels kind of like, I think it, it, it took me a while to really appreciate the performance fully because I also watch big little lies mm-hmm. and I felt a lot of similarities between mm-hmm. particularly her character in the second season of big little lies too this but i mean she won an emmy for big little lies um and she is she is great and more importantly um this isn't just a uh this isn't just a one-time greatness she's also Mm. in another best picture winner this year best picture nominee this year she um has been nominated before uh and I, i mean it feels it feels right to award Lord of Dern for yeah. this film at this time. Yeah. Now that said, my favorite performance in the category is probably Florence Pugh. Yes, I love her so much. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but she is again; she's young, and yeah. I think her career is just starting. Yeah, it's and... kind of like a happy to be nominated kind of a situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was so happy and... that her name popped up. She's she was the MVP of Little Women to me, and I also loved her in Midsummer mm-hmm. this year and. Um, yeah yeah i'm a fan of hers although i will say like 
I also, uh, the 90s version of Little Women with uh, Winona Ryder mm-hmm. and that character, Amy, because they do it chronologically mm-hmm. in that version. Uh, Amy uh, is played by two different actresses because they jump forward in time. And Kirsten Dunst is the young Amy. That's right. And she is great as young Amy. And I did find myself Mm. comparing that a little bit during the part of Little Women. um, And during parts of Little Women in which I was really confused about what ages we were supposed to think they were. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> we will talk more Little Women in just a few minutes, and I want to get okay, back to cool. that because, yeah, that's an interesting thing. Um, I, I also, on this category, briefly want to give a shout-out to Scarlett Johansson for this, too, because I think she's oh, yeah. great in Jojo Rabbit. Uh, she's not and in it a, should yeah, go ahead. be mentioned really quickly that the odds of winning one of your two categories when mm-hmm. you are nominated in both actress and supporting actress is very high interesting because it happened to holly hunter um she won for best actress for the piano she was also nominated for the firm in mm. supporting actress i think it's the firm and those are the same year there you go yeah both 93 i think and then jessica lang was nominated for francis and she lost to the she, oh my god <laughs> somebody just surprised the hell out of me um hi i'm recording a, a friend's podcast right now <laughs> sorry That's my really neighbor my neighbor just was like their face was just staring at me outside the kitchen window um you can cut that or leave that in gotta love good um, neighbors yeah no she's uh she's great uh well she Anyway, um, my best friend lives next door, by the way. Um, so the one who changed my mind on Marriage, marriage Story. Oh, um, well, she's so a part of the podcast now. She's a part of it now. <laughs> we also podcast together on a, on a show called Screen Drafts. But um, okay, so um, where was I? Oh, yeah. Um, Jessica Lange yes, uh, was nominated for Francis for Best Actress, but nobody was beating Meryl Streep and Sophie's Choice. Mm. Um and she won Best Supporting that same year for Tootsie. Mm. Um, and, uh, I mean, there's several other examples of when this is happening. But yeah. uh, you do have a pretty good chance. That's really I interesting. I don't think it's going to happen this yeah, year. Yeah, it seems it like they're kind of locked noting. up. So it's interesting to see what will win out, like the odds of previous years. Or, um, yeah, it's interesting how some of those things can change over the years, too. It's also her first two nominations ever, and that's, that's right. interesting wow. because ScarJo Scar has been on the bubble to get a nom on several occasions, and mm-hmm. there's been a few times that it's been almost surprising. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's like almost like is there some type of why has there been hesitancy or people unwilling to vote for her for whatever reason? Mm-hmm. I think the fact that she has made uh, – I, I'm not saying anything against her and saying this. I just think that there are people who maybe are uncomfortable with some of the statements she has made defending Woody Allen and um, yeah, yeah. Uh, taking up a few roles that were meant for people of different races. Right. Yeah. And uh, the fact that she accepted and then had to reject a role where she would play trans- transgender. Yeah. It's, it's things like that, that a bit controversial. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it may not be her time yet. Yeah. She may have to pay a pittance first. 
Yeah, and I do think uh, just briefly, it's a really small role in, in Jojo Rabbit that she has. Mm-hmm. But I think the the one scene where she uh, kind of helps Jojo deal with his father issues, I think is a really powerful scene. So that mm-hmm. would be her Oscar moment in that one. Anyway, I think that is probably good on that category. Really quick, let's talk about director and then we can wrap mm-hmm. up our Oscar talk. But for director this year, uh, we have Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, Todd Phillips for Joker, Sam Mendes for 1917, Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. Uh, is there a favorite to win this category? Uh, well, I mean, the DGA picked, um, picked uh, Parasite again. Yeah. Mm. Um, but... I will say that this is the other picture and director are the two where I haven't been comfortable making a commitment yet because I think that there is an argument for at least four of the nominees here where mm-hmm. I could see it going to them because there is Martin Scorsese who has just made his Everest. Yeah, you know? it's like a swan and, song sort of movie. Yeah, yeah, this movie that is such an accumulation of everything that he is as a director. But um, by the same token, uh, Quentin Tarantino just made a movie that is incredibly personal to him mm-hmm. and is the most commercial movie he's made in a while. Mm-hmm. And, and it's about Hollywood. <laughs> and it's about Hollywood. And uh, I mean, for a long time uh, after it was released this summer, it was the favorite for a lot of things. Mm. So how much of that is holding over? Meanwhile, you have the technical achievement that is 1917, mm-hmm. and that kind of achievement is about how it is choreographed, Yeah, and that is a feat of directing. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a legitimate argument for uh, each of those, and... I don't know. I could, I could see it. I could see it going anywhere um, in that category. Um, Parasite is probably the safe pick, Hmm. but, um, and that would, I mean, like that would track with what happened with Roma last year, mm -hmm. but I could see, I could see another split between picture and director this year. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm have a feeling that Parasite might get, uh, Foreign language film director and then not best picture, which mm-hmm. um, would make me sad. But I, I think that could possibly happen. Um, it's what happened to Roma. Yeah. And I was so <laughs> sad. I really wanted Roma to win. Um, <laughs> I do think this is the one category where I think uh, there's kind of a snub that I was. Sometimes it's like, oh, oh I wish so-and-so yeah. would be nominated for this. And, I'm like, and it would never actually happen, but it would be nice. But you know what could have actually happened this year is Greta Gerwig for Little Women. I think completely deserved uh, a nomination in this uh, category. And if I had to bump somebody, it would be Todd Phillips for Joker. Um, yeah, so that's that's how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think I think he's the least likely to win. So don't worry about that. <laughs> Are there any other kind of in any other categories, any snubs or uh, things that you were surprised by? Um. Well, I thought. I thought that maybe some of the backlash from her not getting a Golden Globe nom and whatnot would get Greta Gerwig into the directing mm-hmm. category. I thought that I thought that might help her, but um, nope. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So there's that. Unfortunately, um, and there were there were uh, several uh, performers of color who. Mm-hmm. 
uh, we're pretty close to getting acting noms, uh, including uh, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, um, he's so good in that movie too. And, yeah, and uh, Dolmite mm-hmm. uh, is my name. Yeah, Dolmite uh, is my name. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that did that did surprise me a little bit. I will also say that I think. Um, I think Margot Robbie is the standout in Bombshell, but I think Nicole Kidman's performance is not talked about enough. So, um, cause I think that she, I feel like subtlety is never something that people gravitate towards, but I do enjoy a really good subtle performance. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. They don't always win the, the big awards, unfortunately. Well, no, they don't. I think that it, it will wrap up our Oscar talk. I'm excited to see how this all plays out in just a couple of weeks. Um, thank you, Rance, for joining me for this. And uh, we can go ahead and wrap up this part of the podcast. Big thanks to Rance for sharing his deep cut Oscar knowledge. And get ready because he's back again in just a minute to talk about a couple of the biggest Oscar nominated movies this year. First up is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the ninth film from writer-director Quentin Tarantino that stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. This tells a story of Hollywood in the late 60s when things are changing and old Hollywood actors like Leo's Rick Dalton are struggling to make it. Brad Pitt plays his best friend in stunt double, and together they navigate a society that has begun to feel a bit foreign to them. Oh, and Margot Robbie also stars as Sharon Tate herself. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is nominated for 10 Oscars this year, including sound editing, sound mixing, production design, costume design, cinematography, screenplay, uh, original screenplay, that is, director, and best picture, plus lead actor for Leo and supporting actor for Brad Pitt. It is a fascinating movie, and Rance and I do spoil the ending in our discussion. So here's your spoiler warning. If you have not seen this movie, I would highly suggest tuning out now, Go watch it and then come back and listen. Or you can fast forward to the end of the podcast for our discussion of Little Women. You can check the show notes for the minute marker if you need to skip ahead. All right, here is my discussion with Rance Collins of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Marvin. Put it there. That your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> All the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? Thank you for being back again, Rance. This time to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. Um, I've well, seen it twice. Twice. I was going to ask. So I, I've actually just seen it the <laughs> once. I've been trying to get back to see it i guess i can rent it now but um yeah. so i guess first generally what's your feelings towards quentin tarantino do you like him in general do you not is how do you feel about this movie in comparison to his others you know he's not always my cup of tea yeah um because because uh, he is weird and he yeah. is uh and his movies are long and mm. um he uh he is <sighs> I, you know, he is um, very violent and he's yeah. uh, um, a lot of things that I am not always t- 
totally comfortable with. Yeah, I think but, of like the word masculine as describing his movies in a way that I yes. don't love. You know, like maybe too masculine. Anyway, go on. It's it's almost like it's interesting though because it feels almost like it's a commentary mm-hmm. on toxic ma- on yeah. toxic masculinity mm-hmm. more than being toxic masculinity. In a way, it's almost a lampoon. Yeah, it, yeah, that I, makes I, sense. that's my feeling too. Especially so, like Inglorious Bastards is my favorite of his, one of my mm-hmm. favorite movies, and I think that is exactly what that movie's doing. I think that's not mm-hmm. the way a lot of people read it, uh, and mm-hmm. so it's interesting. It's oh, it's a very broy kind of like yeah, let's go shoot Nazis kind of movie it's for a, a lot of people. You know, it, but I don't. You think use that's the word bro, and that's that's <laughs> that's the thing. Like I typically, the, the, when someone says bro to me, like I automatically go ah. Oh. Yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> like Pulp let's... Fiction is like the the movie dorm room poster movie, you know, that yes. every bro had in college. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. So we're working with that, but but I they think, are well made, yeah. great movies. Yeah. I'm not saying mm-hmm. I'm not saying they aren't, but this one is a little bit different for me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think uh, compared to his other movies, this is perhaps maybe Jackie Brown would be the other one that I could say mm-hmm. this about. But I think there it's a really sweet movie. Like, mm-hmm. a genuine sweetness to it that you don't get with most of his others. Um, I I put in my little letterbox review right after seeing it. It's like the movie that I thought of the most, actually, was Dazed and Confused when I was watching this. Yeah. Because it's yeah. kind of all these little pieces that don't exactly fit together or have much to do with each other. But they're all mm-hmm. just really fun to experience. Uh, and some people might get to the end and think, what was the point of that? <laughs> you know, in, in, in a similar way that Daisy and Confuse has caused that reaction. Yes. But uh, but yes. I, I do really like this. It's not my favorite of his movies, but I do. Uh, it's in the top, I don't know, five or something, probably. Yeah, I am. Um, I have to say it was really interesting uh, watching it from the perspective of somebody who who lives in LA. Yeah. That's what I was going to um, ask. Yeah. So you live and work really close to where a lot of this was taking place. So how, how did that affect your yeah. viewing of it? Do you think? Well, I mean, it's all over uh, Los Angeles. It's mm-hmm. um, um, it, it goes uh, through various sections of the city and everybody who lives here remembers when some of this was being filmed mm-hmm. because they, there were areas they shut down for the purpose of filming and uh, they, for these shots that only last a couple seconds, mm, they completely wow. changed out all the store windows, all the um, cars on the street and the way that people were dressed. They just m- turn back time 50 years yeah, in all of these sections of LA. And they did it in a way that feels so authentic and feels mm. so um and feels so much like the late 60s. And I think that I have a unique perspective on this movie, even for somebody who lives in L.A., because I am a frequent patron of Quentin Tarantino's movie theater here yeah, in L.A. Yeah, yeah. And Quentin Tarantino owns a theater in Los Angeles called the New Beverly Theater. It's on Beverly Boulevard uh, near La Brea Avenue. And, Shows lots and, of classic uh, genre movies LA. all the time, right? Uh, it's everything. Like I, I've been such strange double features there. Like if you ever wanted to go to a double feature of Mulholland drive and the 1998 remake of psycho, that's something that <laughs> happened a couple months ago. Um, then that they, is a strange then they play. It's a wonderful life, uh, at Christmas and they mm. play a Christmas story and they play, um, those types of movies, but then they also, there was a f- very little known, um, 
female director named Dorothy Arzner who made movies in the 20s and 30s. And she was the only female director who was working in the 30s in the studio system. And they did a series of her movies one month. Wow. Um, and then for the month leading up to the release of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they only played movies from the late 60s. Mm, wow. And the whole schedule was late 60s films. And all of them, in some way or another, because he programmed it, had some type of influence on the film. And so whenever Sharon Tate passes by the marquee of the Fox Theater in Westwood and then walks across the street to watch the movie that she's in, mm -hmm. um, the movie that was on the marquee of the Fox Theater played. Wow. And then she walks across the street and the movie she made with Dean Martin is what she watches in the movie that movie played mm. um and a couple other sharon tate movies played and the movie that is the trailer that is before the movie whenever she walks into the movie theater there's a trailer playing for a movie with Anne margaret um and they played that movie and they played uh bullet and they played mm, yeah, yeah. a couple of um really rare counterculture uh, movies, a uh, college protest film uh, called Getting Straight with Elliot Gould and Candace Bergen. Elliot Gould was there at the screening. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and they played Barbarella and they played all these <laughs> random late 60s movies all July. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out. And having been to so many of those screenings that month, I felt so prepared mm, yeah. to be in 1969 uh, because of that. That's amazing. And yeah. it captures that period in a way that is wholly authentic. Wow. He clearly yeah. has such a love just for all of cinema, but in, in this movie in particular, that era. And I think it's amazing that he's able to use, you know, what cloud he has to, to do that sort of thing. And then, um, yeah, he really just shines a light on this time period. I think it's for me, like I, I have sort of a cursory knowledge of movie history, but I, I mm -hmm. have never gone deep at this era quite so much i mean i knew the sharon tate story um but mm -hmm. but this for me was almost a history lesson too uh seeing my kind yeah. of the ranch was working then and you know and, and its history of being used for tv and all that and um yeah it, it's almost like he made fan fiction for late 60s hollywood and made up all these little stories that to, to go with it and i think that's really cool yeah well he talked about i saw uh an interview with him where he talked about how he saw uh, The Wrecking Crew, which is the name of the movie that she watches within the movie. Mm -hmm. And he saw it with his mom and he was like, you know, eight or nine, whatever, and came out of the theater and he asked who the who the actress was in the movie. And his mom pointed to the name on the poster when she died a couple months later. Yeah. Wow. And that was that was like his first crush. Wow. And so if you look at the movie as an elaborate plot that Quentin Tarantino constructs so he can save his first crush. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that makes it the most beautiful. Wow. That's really yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about the ending in a minute. Um, but first, do you have, uh, is there, is oh, there like a spoiler? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. We'll go ahead and slap the spoiler warning on the beginning of this one. Um, but yeah, uh, I was going to say too. Just, do you have like a favorite section or favorite segment of this movie, uh, or or one or two, or, or what do you think about that? 
who um it works so well i think cohesively as a whole um i um as a uh true crime uh Mm -hmm. aficionado um i did very much enjoy the um exploration of the manson family Mm -hmm. at the ranch yeah um it's a long enjoy it enjoy is the wrong word but um but it felt interesting to kind of put um, visuals to a story I had heard mm-hmm. a lot of times. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting sequence. Um, I think my favorite is uh, all of Rick Dalton's um, stuff on the Western show, uh, particularly. <laughs> yeah, like that whole sequence is great where he creates his line and then beats himself up in the trailer. Like that's that's one of the best moments i think amazing but my favorite is when he talks to the little girl uh (laughs) just because she's so great but then also it's such a interesting sort of sideways way to get into like him reconnecting with his love for acting at this point in his life when he's like not sure he has a career Mm -hmm. and all of this i thought that was a really beautiful way to kind of remind him like because she's so pure and like well, acting is like this. And he's like, oh, yeah, it is. Uh, I think that's a great. And uh, then whenever she compliments his performance. Yeah, and he's and, so, so moved. And he oh, starts crying. He's so moved. It's, <laughs> that's so funny. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah it's it's a great movie. I really enjoy it. Well, let's go ahead and talk about spoilers then. So, I mean, even before the ending, I think this has an interesting relationship with history. Uh, but then that ending, too. So, as someone who knows a lot about this era, um, how do you mm-hmm. feel like this? Uh, uh, what do you think about his treatment of history within this movie? Um, you know, I have to say, like knowing what he was, I, I had a feeling what he was going to do mm-hmm. going into the movie. Yeah. Um, because he has a history for changing history. Yeah. And I, I, I thought that there was a way that this could come off very disrespectful mm. very tasteless yeah and very um sexist mm. actually but that somehow i don't know how he did it because on paper this shouldn't work mm. but he he is able to make it maybe because he leaned so much into humor yeah i don't know he's able to make it feel like this is an alternate history where this person could have survived. And at the very end of the movie, I think the thing that makes it all okay is that at the end of the film, he talks to her on that intercom and you see that, that they pan up and they go over on that overhead shot to Mm -hmm. them talking by the pool. And it feels so there's there's something about that button at the end that makes it feel like it is a sincere person trying to correct history Mm, yeah and i end up taking away all my reservations about the ending over the just sheer sincerity in which it's presented yeah yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I should have seen some of that coming, I think, because of Inglorious Bastards changing history and Django changing or using that just revenge narrative. Um, I was still completely shocked by it. 
Yeah, I, I think I think it's kind of cool too because this is kind of a pivotal time when uh, old Hollywood was kind of dying out. I mean, that Rick Dalton kind of embodies that a little bit, um, and so to change it in this way um, is kind of imag- yeah. imagining that never happened and what would Hollywood be like today, kind of kind of thing. Thing too, it's it's really hopeful. Well, I mean, yeah, not just Hollywood. I mean, like you take it even bigger than that. The thing that in a lot of ways, the Manson murders is what killed the sixties and not just the sixties ending, but the entire, the the whole hippie free love County counterculture, what gave it this horrible, nasty rap was the fact that so much of that was associated with these media sensations Mm -hmm. that, that were so deranged and psychopathic And, and for better or worse, um, you know, a lot of what went wrong with the hippie movement was, you know, the abuse of drugs and, and that kind of thing, because ultimately the way that Charlie Manson was able to indoctrinate these people is that they were on acid, like nobody's business, Mm -hmm. but, um, but there, there was kind of an innocence about the way people were going about that free love movement in the late sixties that felt very naive and Mm. fragile and, um, adolescent and all of that innocence was killed along with Sharon Kate. Yeah. Crashing halt. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's really amazing. I, I mean, I, I was also nervous just not expecting him to alter the timeline that way just thinking about how he does violence in his movies and knowing the story. Mm-hmm. I was like, is that what we're going to see? Uh, and how is that going to be respectful at all? You know, if, for him to direct that, of course yeah. it completely changes it. I think that scene, I, in a sense, when I got to that scene, the big violent ending there, I thought, okay, here's Tarantino. Like here he is. Like it, it seemed like a different director. Um, on some, it felt like him, but it felt so different because yeah. there was almost no violence in the whole thing. Um, and then we get to that that big shocking ending. Um, yeah, and, and I, I will say that if you don't know history, that may inhibit your yeah. enjoyment of mm-hmm. the last part. But knowing knowing how horrifically that night actually went mm-hmm. um, also makes it better because you know because you have the advantage of knowing what those people would have done had yeah. this or mm-hmm. what those people actually did do. Yeah. And so you know they. I don't, I don't want to say yeah. they deserve this, but it makes it, it makes it much easier to stomach. Yeah. So. And it, you almost breathe a sigh of relief uh, when you realize, mm-hmm. oh, that's not going to happen. And then it's so bittersweet yeah. and you realize, but this isn't true. Like, uh, you know, it's once upon a time because this is a fairy tale. So I think, and, that, and then when that title pops up, that kind of hit me and I was like, oh my gosh, but this is fake. Uh, how's that? Yeah. But that was a really yeah. uh, a brilliant way to, to wrap the movie up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Any, any other thoughts about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood before we wrap this up? No, although if you're very interested and you want to one day do an L.A. tour of all these places, uh, many of them actually exist, although the Sharon Tate house no longer existed and mm-hmm. they used a stand-in house that was actually on the other side of the hill oh, from where it was really located. Um, and it did not have a house, I don't think, that closely neighboring in real life, but... Um, but, you know, it's a fairy tale. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. 
that is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, nominated for many Oscars, uh, and I'm mm-hmm. hoping that it wins some because I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, I think it will. That wraps up the Tarantino talk, but I couldn't end the podcast without discussing one more movie, but we keep it short since this is running long. The movie is Little Women, which I completely fell in love with when I saw it in early January. In fact, if I had seen it before I made my top 10 of 2019 list, it would have definitely been on the list. Little Women is directed by Greta Gerwig and stars Saoirse Ronan, Florence Pugh, Laura Dern, Meryl Streep, Emma Watson, and Timothy Chalamet, among others. It has been nominated this year for six Oscars for Best Score, Best Costume Design, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Supporting Actress for Florence Pugh, Best Lead Actress for Saoirse Ronan, and Best Picture. It's a very unique adaptation of this classic story, and it is beautifully directed by Gerwig. Okay, that's enough talk from me. Rance, by the way, has seen all of the big screen adaptations of this story, and he breaks them all down. We do talk spoilers. Uh, Again, this is an old story, so you may know what happens. Um, If you've seen any movie version of this, then you shouldn't be worried, but we are going to talk about what happens at the end of this movie. Here is our discussion of 2019's Little Women. I'm working on a novel. It is a story of my life and my sisters. Make it short and spicy. And if the main character is a girl, make sure she's married by the end. Ow, Joe! I want to be an artist in Rome and be the best painter in the world. That's what you want too, isn't it, Joe? To be a famous writer? Yes, but it sounds so crass when she says My girls have a way of getting into mischief. Well, so do I. Well, let's talk very briefly about Little Women because this podcast is running long. But um, <laughs> Little Women <laughs> is uh, directed by Greta Gerwig and, and uh-huh. stars Saoirse Ronan and Florence Pugh and Emma Watson and Laura Dern and, and Meryl Streep. It's really yes. an incredible cast. Um, uh, you are someone who has seen all the movie versions. Uh, have mm-hmm. you read the book as well? You know, I think... I think I read Little Men, which was mm. one of the follow-ups. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe because when I was 10 or 11 years old, it felt more masculine yeah. checking that out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, uh, but I, I think I might have read an abridged version mm. for children yeah. when I was younger. Um, but I did see, uh, I saw the 1949 version in college. Mm. Um, which starred um, uh, June Allison played Joe mm. Joe and Elizabeth Taylor was Amy. Um, Janet Lee was Meg. Wow. I, um, so I don't, I'm very unaware of that movie and I did not know it had such a cast. Yeah, no. And then uh, an actress named Mary Astor, who's in the Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's the femme fatale. She plays Marmee. And uh, Margaret O'Brien, who's the little girl in Meet in St. Louis, is oh, yeah. um, she's uh, Beth. Um, so there's that version, which is like a big Technicolor storybook. Um, and then there is the Catherine Hepburn version, which is the second one I saw. And that one's in the 30s. And Catherine Hepburn plays Joe, which makes complete sense. Tomboy, yeah. young Catherine oh, yeah. Hepburn. That's great. Um, and that version is probably better than the 1949 version. It's, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I'll have to tell you something in a second. Let me <laughs> okay. get through all of them first. Um, and that one's also, that one's also really good. Both of those are very straightforward, mm. uh, 
tellings, as is the 1994 version, but the 1994 version leans a little bit more into feminism. Mm -hmm. Having come out in the 1990s, it's directed by a woman as well. Um, And uh, which was very rare in 1994. Yeah. Um, In fact, most of the, most of the people who worked on that movie, it had a very female heavy crew, which is, which is great, but it's still, uh, it still holds back from the level of feminism that Greta Gerwig goes for Mm -hmm. in our post me too times up era um, where she suggests that the ending of the movie may just be the ending of the book and not real life, which is, brilliant the way she does that yeah i think and it's a little bit ambiguous i think it's a really great a great way that she ended that the way that i i heard it was that everything that's in the colder blue tone mm-hmm. is real mm-hmm. everything in the warm tones is in it's just something from the book yeah oh that makes sense it kind of cuts to that train station and it's very warm and fantastic mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah i like even that last scene is warm as well where it's in the school you mean yeah Yeah. so everything so the her selling the book is correct but that's just the ending the the book gives you yeah Yeah. wow um so that is a great way to to look at that i think and it works in so much of louisa may alcott's actual story and she never married the Mm -hmm. author of little women so Mm -hmm. um but of the three versions that i of the four versions rather that have been released theatrically there have also been television films and miniseries um those four are actually very interestingly all really good movies Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they all tell it um similarly but different Mm -hmm. and there are threads between each of them but because it's a book they each kind of pick and choose which episodes of the book they're going to uh depict Mm -hmm. you know um not all of them have uh, Amy burning her pages. Interesting. You know, that seems like um, such a big part of it. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. I know the, the more recent two, I don't remember which of the other two don't have it. Hmm. Um, and it's just interesting to see the story told in such distinctly different time periods, the 1930s where the social norms are one thing post-World War II, where the social Hmm. norms are another thing. 1990s, where we have had, where we're in kind of second wave where we've gone through second wave feminism and Mm -hmm. you know, you have that generation making this movie and then you have the post times up. If you watch them all together, it makes a very interesting evolution of the way women are shown on screen. And interestingly history. That's really interesting. Yes. And all of them are progressive for when they are Mm, made for their time. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is kind of fun to to look at. I mean, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend every version of Little Women. I don't know if I actually have a favorite. I did discuss with my next door neighbor and friend the other day if each of the versions was one of the four sisters, which ones would they be? <laughs> and we it. just like a BuzzFeed decided, article waiting to be written. Yes. <laughs> we decided that uh, that uh, I believe Joe is the 1990s version okay. because it's the most literate. Mm-hmm. Um, Amy is the more recent version because it's a little bit more bratty. <laughs> um, the, the 40s version is Meg because it's really pretty, but not much else. Um, 
And the 30s version is Beth because it's the shortest. Wow. You heard it here <laughs> first. <laughs> Which is my favorite. <laughs> Just the shortest version. That's well, so great. I mean, she, she has the shortest timeline of any of them. So yeah. yeah. That's m- morbidly hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well um anyway <laughs> let's touch briefly on the performances too because i think they're mm-hmm. all fantastic pretty much across the board um do you have a favorite of the sisters and yeah in the uh, or any of the performances in the 2019 version uh yes um florence Pugh yeah, nice. is yeah. probably my favorite of the sisters although as i said earlier i am confused about how old they are supposed to be, yeah. even though I know from having seen previous versions how the ages are supposed to be delineated, um, it it does feel like whenever Joe is talking uh, or Sierra Sharon is talking to Emma Watson and she's talking about her being her older sister, it's a little bit like, eh. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. <laughs> She may actually, I think she may actually be older than Sierra Sharona. And she just, there's a, there's a kind of a youthfulness about yeah. Emma Watson. That is, it makes it hard to believe her as being, yeah. you know, absolutely. Yeah. and, and Florence Pugh, I think is supposed to be like 11 or 12 at some point. And I'm like, ah, yeah, it's a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> I do think like those were the moments when she's acting very young. Like you can tell it's intentional, yes. but it doesn't feel forced. Like I think she did a good job with it. Um, is this the yeah, only version the best that doesn't yeah. have two different actors playing some of the characters? No, no. Um, the only version that has two different actors playing Amy is the nineties version. Mm, okay. Um, but I will say the 40s version uh, shuffles the ages a little bit and it makes uh, Beth the youngest because of the way they casted it Um, because Elizabeth Taylor was older than Margaret Mm -hmm. O'Brien. So Mm -hmm. they and Elizabeth Taylor wears a blonde wig. It's very confusing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That is odd. Yes. (laughs) I've heard Um, some complaints about Timothy Chalamet just not looking old enough, but I think he just doesn't look old. (laughs) And I, uh, I think he does a great job, but I will say he is the age the character is supposed to be. It's hard to, you know, but he's far more convincing when he's supposed to be the, you know, seven years ago version versus the 25 or whatever, 26 year old version, because you're like, yeah, <laughs> I think I was just too distracted by his beautiful hair to care. This oh, <laughs> he's, I, I'm a big fan of him in, in general too, and I think he's great in this. Yeah, I mean, he probably it, it. Part of it's just that he's you see so tiny. Yeah, he's just like you could you could fit him inside of a little knapsack. <laughs> you know. Yeah, <laughs> he's cute as a uh, That's that's what he is. <laughs> well that's probably as good a place as any to to wrap up the little women talk um but thank you so much for joining me for this rants i think it's going to be a great oscar special um and i look forward to seeing what actually wins and uh, uh i think it's going to be an interesting year yeah for sure it's a really it's a really interesting year yeah yeah, and I'll tease a little bit that Rance will likely be back very soon um, for yes. some different types of movie discussions. Uh, I'm still making all the plans for that, and I will 
reveal them soon, but you can look forward to more of rants on the Art House Garage podcast. And if you guys want to find me on yes, the social tell media, us about all your things. I am on both Twitter and Instagram as at Rance Collins. And I have just launched a new podcast called The Envelope Please, where me and a friend of mine named Sam Erdahl are going through every single winner of the Best Picture Academy Awards, starting at the very beginning. And we give our thoughts, opinions on that particular movie and if we think it holds up if we think it should have won what we think should have won instead um and a little bit of context and history as as to what's going on with the oscars at that point in time that is such a great podcast idea and i'm so excited to dig into it yay (laughs) you have other podcasts too yeah yes i also if you if you are of a political persuasion that um (laughs) is more left hand than right hand. I am on a, <laughs> I am on a podcast called The Resist Report, and I am also a contributor occasionally on a podcast called Screen Drafts, where we draft uh, best of list of movies. Perfect. So lots of movies or politics. Take your pick. Rance is a, a prolific podcaster at this point. Um, yeah. So I'm honored <laughs> to have you here. Thank you for having me. All right. We will say goodbye to Rance. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Have a good night. Big, big thanks to Rance for being here. Please go and support his various podcast endeavors. You will be hearing more from him on future episodes of this podcast. Speaking of which, now that award season is coming to a close, the Art House Garage podcast is going to shift its focus by going back in time a little. We love classic cinema here at Art House Garage, so the next chunk of episodes are going to be focused on some of the very best classic films, which are also some of the best films in history. If you've ever wanted to get more into old movies, or if you already love classic cinema but want to learn some history, stay tuned to the next episode for more details. Till then, follow us on Instagram, Letterboxd, Facebook, and Twitter at Art House Garage in all those places, and check arthousegarage.com for all the latest film reviews. Subscribe to our email newsletter at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe. Rate and review the podcast if you want to help out, and email me, andrew at arthousegarage.com, if you have questions, comments, concerns, or whatever. Till next time, keep it snob-free. I forgot one more snub I was going to mention. Uh, it's not a big deal, but I was a little mad that Frozen 2 wasn't nominated for animated feature. Uh, yeah, I don't really have an opinion, but... <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I think it's because I have a four-year-old and a five-year-old. So. <laughs> I've seen Frozen <laughs> 1 a million times. Uh, once tonight, in fact. That's what we watched during dinner. Um, so, yeah. <laughs>